Uh, a question that I often ask as we gather is, what do we do as we gather? And I, I bring this question to our attention again and again because we are prone to forget what we're called to do as we gather. Uh, we're prone to make our gatherings about us and, and our activity and what we're doing. But what we first come to do as we come together is something that's very passive. It's to listen. We gather together to listen. We come to listen as, as uh, whoever did the call to worship, Chris, began our service this morning. We come to listen to God because God is in this place and God speaks to us through his word. And as he speaks to us through his word, not only do we listen, we also remember. Our gatherings are, are a function of our, our memory, collectively remember who God is and what he has done. There's no one like the Lord. All praise belongs to him who created the heavens and the earth. We remember that there is no one like him. And we remember what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. Oh, the mercy our God has shown to those who sit in death's shadow. The sun on high pierced the night. Born was the cornerstone. So we gather to listen so that we might remember. We also gather to speak. And so that's why we're singing, and that's why we're praying, and that's why I'm preaching. We gather to speak not our words of wisdom, but God's words of wisdom for us. We're God's mouthpieces to one another as we gather. And so we speak his word to one another. And we do all this so that we might be changed. We might be transformed by the Spirit of God. You see, through these activities of corporate worship, we are confronted with reality. We're confronted with what is true versus what is not. I said recently that we live in a world of God's truth and many lies. God's truth, many lies. In Proverbs, God's truth comes to us in the form of wisdom. And as we've seen over the past several weeks, Proverbs personifies wisdom. It gives wisdom flesh and bones gives us a picture of what wisdom is like. And last week in Proverbs 8, we saw that it's wisdom that has established the heavens, that's marked out the foundations of the earth. It's wisdom that defines reality and orders creation. So another way then to speak of wisdom is to speak of it as truth applied. That's what wisdom is. To embrace wisdom is to embrace living according to God's truth, to live according to the order that God has established for the world. That's what we're talking about when we talk about wisdom. And the first nine chapters of Proverbs come to us in a very straightforward way. And these chapters say, if you want the good life, if you want to flourish, if you want to be blessed, then choose wisdom. These first nine chapters, they function as an introduction for all that's going to come in chapters 10 through 31. They present a father who purposes to convince his son of the necessity and the goodness and the value of wisdom. He's saying, son, there is nothing better than wisdom. It's a very simple idea. That's, what, that's all that's happened in these first nine chapters. And so if someone were to ask you, you're presented with two paths, two roads diverge in a wood. And they ask you which path is better. And, and the path over here says wisdom, and the path over there says folly. 
I don't think anyone would jump up and say, folly, folly, that's the better path. No, we know the right answer. We know which is the path that we must take. So why does Proverbs then spend about a third of its pages making this simple point, that the way of wisdom is better than folly? Well, Proverbs spends so much time making its case for the goodness of wisdom because even though it seems like a simple choice, we often choose the way of folly. Even though the choice between wisdom and folly is obvious and simple, we are anything but simple people. We are complicated. We are complicated by our sin. We are complicated by our emotions, complicated by the flood of choices that come at us each and every day. There was a study done not too long ago that said we are confronted with 227 different choices related to food every day. The average American consumer, 227 different choices related to food. So what time am I going to eat? What am I going to eat? Where am I going to eat? Who am I going to eat with? All of these things, all these choices. So we need help. We need reminders. We need grace. Brothers and sisters, we need God. And God, out of his abundant, astonishing mercy, he comes to us. He comes to us where we are and he speaks to us. And he speaks truth into the chaos of our lives. And calls us to follow him and find life. And that's what Proverbs 9 is all about. The introduction of Proverbs culminates in a straightforward and public invitation from competing voices. Wisdom and folly. We're invited to choose between two feasts. So let's read together from our text. Listen as I read from God's Word, Proverbs 9, beginning in verse 1. This is the Word of God, infallible, inerrant, sufficient for us. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread, and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live, and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for speaking to us through your word. For speaking truth to us. us. You are truth. 
Help us to live according to your word. Help us to be transformed by your spirit. So we might glorify you in all we think, say, and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now we're going to consider our text together this morning under two headings, two simple headings, Wisdom's Feast and Folly's Feast. So first, Wisdom's Feast. Our text opens with what we should know about this person, Wisdom. Verses 1 and 2 tell us all about her preparation for the feast. You see it right there. First, First line, Wisdom has built her house. Right away we see wisdom works. She's not a sluggard. She's not sitting back waiting for something to happen. She builds her house. And it's not a shack. It's not some, "Ah, well, she did the best best she could, bless her heart. It's a majestic house. An impressive house would have four pillars. But what does wisdom's house have? Seven. Seven pillars. Seven is this number that the Bible often uses to represent divine perfection. And hers is the house that that people are driving down the road and and they see it and they think, man, I would love to be invited there. There's a sense in which this house is a metaphor for the first nine chapters of Proverbs. Wisdom has been presented as beautiful and desirable. It's the place that you want to be, the place that you want to go. And in these first nine chapters... That house is being built. Wisdom has built her house. There are also seven sections in the book of Proverbs. And so these these seven pillars not only represent this divine perfection, they also represent these seven sections of this book. This is the house that wisdom has built. And so now wisdom, having done this work, is preparing a feast. She has slaughtered her beast. She has... Mixed her wine. That means she's, she's added flavor to it. She's made it better. She's also set her table. Notice she doesn't build her house and say, you know what? My work's done. No, no. She then gives herself for others. She gives of her time, of her energy, of her resources to serve others. Wisdom not only serves others generously... Look what else wisdom does. Wisdom disciples and trains others. Wisdom brings others into her work, into the preparation of this banquet. Look at verse 3. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. These young women, they represent those who have followed her, those who have listened to her. They are brought into her work. They are her ambassadors, her emissaries, her representatives in the public places. And the same is true for us today. The same is true for the church today. As I said, we we gather as witnesses to Christ, to the resurrected Christ, the living Christ. We also scatter as witnesses as we leave from this place. We call out from the highest places, offering an invitation to a feast, the greatest feast that you could ever imagine. That's what we're called to do in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our homes. We are offering invitations to this feast. And this is the invitation that wisdom gives. Verse 4. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Now before we go any further, think about who Proverbs has told us that wisdom is. 
We considered last week, as, as John led us through Proverbs 8, who wisdom is and what wisdom has accomplished. And I just want to draw our attention to one series of verses. Proverbs 8, verse 22. The Lord possessed me, this is wisdom speaking, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. So before the beginning of the earth, who was there? Wisdom. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. So not only was wisdom there, in the midst of all of these things, in the midst of creation, I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. That's wisdom. Glorious, eternal, powerful, transcendent. That's wisdom. Get, I mean, get this high picture of wisdom in your mind. But who does wisdom invite? Who does wisdom call out to? The simple. The simple. Verse 4 goes on to tell us, it defines who the simple is right there in that next line. The simple are those who lack sense. All right, so we see wisdom, glorious, eternal, powerful. And the invitation goes out to the stupid. The simple are not impressive. The simple are not the kids who get picked first for the kickball game. They aren't the influencers or the go-getters or the rising stars. The simple are those who are defined by lacking sense. They aren't committed to a certain way. They are impressionable. But this is who is addressed in wisdom's generous invitation. The simple. One commentator, Bruce Waltke, he writes, With amazing grace, she who belongs to the heavenlies speaks to those numbered among the fools. We should be astonished at this because we should all find ourselves here among the fools. That's us. When we acknowledge our waywardness, when we confess our transgression and sin, when we allow God's word to judge us and confront us in the lies that we live, the ways that we deny reality through the decisions we make, we are those who lack sense. But we, fools though we are, are invited into wisdom's house. We are invited to join wisdom's feast. Verse 5, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Wisdom is generous in her service, generous in her invitation. But her invitation does not come, out with, come without conditions. 
There's a condition that wisdom puts on her invitation. It's an invitation that goes out to all the simple, but it's not an invitation that doesn't require anything. In order to come to this feast, the simple must, as verse 6 says, leave their simple ways. The simple must turn from the way they're walking and come. Wisdom doesn't say, get yourself figured out and then come. Wisdom says, turn and live. Now, the Bible loves to use this picture of of turning to describe what it looks like to know and follow God. It's the way that the Bible speaks of repentance. Repentance is, is much more than just saying, I was wrong, or I'm sorry. That's not biblical repentance. Repentance is much more. It's to turn in a new direction. It's to turn to God and His ways. Repentance is about looking to God and His ways, looking to God and His kingdom as the truth that our lives are to be centered upon. There's nothing else that our lives should be centered upon but His truth. And this repentance isn't drudgery. This is, this is astonishing. I mean, so wisdom sets out this wonderful feast. But who does wisdom set out this feast for? Wisdom sets it out for the repentance. And what God does is he makes repentance a party. Do you see that? That's what's happening. Don't stay as you are. Turn and live and enjoy this feast. What a gift. God is so extravagant in his goodness that even our repentance becomes a feast. It becomes a place of joy and satisfaction. And especially to the young people here, you're going to be tempted to think of repentance, and old people here too, think of repentance as something that is drudgery. You think about the the, the cost of it, or the pain that you're going to have to go through, or how embarrassing it will be, or whatever it is. Whatever lies that are hurled at you, Whatever lies you tell yourself. But call them out as they are. They are lies. And repentance is a wonderful gift to enter into life. To enter into the goodness of God as we eat of wisdom's bread and as we drink of wisdom's wine. So turn and come. Leave your simple ways and live. So now that wisdom has offered her invitation, she then begins to serve her feast. Now, we're going to be looking at this over the next several weeks, several months, as we go through Proverbs 10 through 31. That's her feast that she's serving. But she gives gives it to us already in verses 7 through 12. Wisdom begins serving her feast by laying out what a person will become if they choose to live by wisdom or if they choose the way of folly. She wants, to know, she wants us to know something about these people. For the one who chooses the way of folly, wisdom itself is seen as stupid. Wisdom is seen as something to be hated. So some might call wisdom old-fashioned or set in her ways. Other might, others might say that wisdom is kind of out of touch or losing relevance. The scoffer is one who stands opposed to wisdom, hating wisdom, abusing wisdom. And notice that wisdom's invitation doesn't go to the scoffer. If this is the way that you choose, Proverbs 9.12 tells us that you alone will bear it. In the end, you will have no one to blame for not listening, for not turning to wisdom, for not 
receiving instruction. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. This is the path you chose. So if you are a scoffer, if you are tempted to go the way of the scoffer, hear this warning. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. These are sobering words, hard words, because there's something of a scoffer in us all. But wisdom also shows us another path, another way to live. This is the one who chooses to follow wisdom. And so when the wise is corrected, what does it say? He will love you. When the wise is corrected, he will grow wiser still. Now one of the, one of the primary or, or the, the preeminent description of instruction in Proverbs 1 through 9 is reproof. That's what the, the father goes to again and again. Reproof, reproof. It's, it's correcting a wrong. And this is what we're called to love. The one who walks in wisdom is called to love these corrective words because they're meant to restore us and, and bring us into God's good order, bring us into God's good feast that he lays out for those who leave their simple ways. Now, where does wisdom begin? Where, what is the heart of the matter? We see this in verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. You see, wisdom centers on the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is to recognize God to be God. It's trusting that, that God is, and God is who He says He is. And so we must stand in awe of Him. To fear Him is to come before Him with reverence as Creator and Judge. But to fear the Lord is not just something that, that talks about how we look to God. It speaks of how we live our lives now. To fear the Lord is to, to walk in obedience to Him, to worship Him in all that we do. And there's a wonderful gift for all those who walk in this fear of the Lord. And again, we see just God's astonishing generosity. We are the, the simple, the foolish, the sinful, and, and God comes to us. And if we live according to His truth, if we repent and we turn from our simple ways and trust in Him for life, wisdom makes this promise in verse 11. By me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. Fear the Lord, it's the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by wisdom your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. This is not the promise of a fountain of youth. This, this promise is not live longer, which also carries with it the ugly burdens of, of grief and disappointment and pain. This promise is so much better. Because it speaks of eternal life. It speaks of fullness of life. Wisdom makes known to us the path of life. And in God's presence, do you know what there is? Psalm 16 tells us fullness of joy. Amen. At God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. Fullness of joy. Can you have more joy than fullness of joy? You can't. 
pleasures forevermore. When do those pleasures end? When do the forevermore pleasures end? They don't end. An eternal life without grief or disappointment, without sin and brokenness, without pain and suffering, that's what's held out to those who walk in wisdom. This is wisdom's feast that the simple are invited into. And you are invited. But this is not the only invitation that we have received. This is not the only voice calling out. Proverbs 9, as, as the Bible always is, is, is completely honest about who God is and about who we are and about the world around us. And Proverbs 9 presents us with a competing, competing view of the world. It's an, another way to live, another feast to join. And it's in direct contrast to wisdom's feast. So this brings us to our second heading, Folly's Feast. Just like Proverbs 9 began with, with wisdom's preparation for her feast, verses 13 and 14 tell us about woman folly's preparation for her feast. Look at verse 13 again. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town. Now, do you remember wisdom and all that wisdom was doing and had done? Wisdom had been busy working and building. And what's folly doing? Sitting. Where wisdom was busy training others and bringing them into her work, since folly isn't doing any work, she has all the time in the world to take a seat herself on the highest places. Proverbs 9 sets up these, these it's almost like these two houses are across the street from each other on the busiest road to the city. There's this majestic house of seven pillars on one side and there are servants going out to the street to offer invitations to come in. Right, that's happening on one side. And on the other side of the street sits a woman in the door of her house, loud and seductive. She has not built a house. She's not prepared any meat or wine. She has not sent any messengers. She sits at the door of her house. And to those who pass by on the street, they hear a very similar invitation. Look back at wisdom's invitation in verse 4. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Now look at verse 16. It might look familiar. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. They're, they're calling out to the same people. Whoever is simple, those who lack sense, they're, they're calling the simple to come in. Turn in here. They're calling on the impressionable, the uncommitted. And it's not like folly doesn't have any game. She's loud and she's seductive. She's tempting. There's something about her that is appealing to those who pass by. And this is Folly's feast. This is Folly's invitation. Verse 17. Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. 
When wisdom invited her guests to come, she said they must leave their simple ways in order to come and eat of her bread and drink of the wine that she has mixed. The condition for coming to Wisdom's Feast is to, to recognize that you're not okay the way you are. But folly gives no such condition. Folly, in her loud and attractive way, she shouts out, just stay the way you are and turn in and come. It's a big difference. Folly sings the words of the Lady Gaga song, Born This Way. I'm beautiful in my way because God makes no mistakes. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Don't hide yourself in regret. Just love yourself and you're set. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Folly loves those words. Lady Folly loves those words. She calls out and wants us to celebrate who we already are, to celebrate being simple, to come into her house and eat her water and bread. And she seduces us by telling us, stay how you are. And this is where we, we need to begin to unmask folly for who she is. You see, wisdom had a wonderful feast of meat and wine. Right? She slaughtered her beast. She mixed her wine. What does folly have? Folly only has bread and water. It's a slave's meal. But she purposes to, to mask that by appealing to our sinful cravings, by appealing to our flesh. And she states something that, that is true, but it's really only half true. Because she tells us this water is not just any water. It's stolen water. So it's going to taste sweeter. This bread is not just any bread. It's bread eaten in darkness, in secrecy. It's so much more exciting and thrilling. Now this sounds silly to say, but we know it's true. This is how our sinful hearts work. Our flesh loves secrecy. In our sin, we love darkness. But Jesus comes to us and he pulls the mask off of this lie. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And he says, this is what Jesus says to the church in Revelations 3.1, I know your works. Part of what's so messed up about ourselves, about our sinful nature, is that we have this, this completely ridiculous idea that God doesn't know what we're doing. That he doesn't see what we're doing. We think we can sneak into Folly's house without anyone ever knowing. We think we can visit that website or, or imagine a life with that person we knew long ago and no one will ever know. But this is madness. This is crazy. This is a lie. God sees and God simply says, I know. And so folly comes at the simple with this, this half-truth that's tempting. It's true to say that we get pleasure from sin. It's exciting. It's momentarily gratifying. But a half-truth does not equal a truth. It's like trying to drive half a car to get anywhere you want to go. It doesn't work. But for the simple who listen to folly, who accept her invitation, they will find that her feast does not deliver what they expect. And in verse 18 we read, the simple does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. 
Now, remember how I said verses 7 through 12 were, were wisdom laying out her feast. And she, she gives us counsel. When we come to Folly's feast and we enter in her door, she has no counsel to give. She's silent. There's only death there. No one goes into the house of Folly and comes out alive. Her house is no house but a grave. Her way is, is no alternative way. It's not the two paths that diverge in a wood. It's not wisdom over here, folly over here. We'll see. We'll see what works out. No, this is the path to death. That's it. And this is what Proverbs teaches us. It confronts us in our lives. It confronts us in our sin and it warns us. If you choose this way, you will die. If you choose the way of folly, you will die. But if we are honest with ourselves, and if we come to grips with what the Bible says about us, then we must recognize something. And that is that we so often go this way. We scoff at correction. We are unkind to others. We are selfish. We are proud. We are, are, are dead in our sin. As we sang earlier, we are those who sit in death's shadow. The Bible does not present a pretty picture of humanity apart from God. But there's another reality we also see in Proverbs 1-9. through 9. Yes, we bring our, our complicated histories, our sin, our foolish choices. But there's more to the story. Amen. And we see it in this word... It doesn't come up in Proverbs 9, but it comes up 22 times in Proverbs 1 through 8. And it's the word son. Son. This is who is being addressed as we read. Proverbs is written to the sons of wisdom. You see, on this side of Christ, do you know who is included in that group? It's all those who have repented of their sin and placed their trust in Jesus Christ. The New Testament tells us that in Christ, we are sons of God. Because when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Amen. Now, if you're a woman listening to this, I want you to be aware of one thing. God's use of sons in this text, in Proverbs, is purposeful. It's not general. We don't replace it with sons and daughters. It's supposed to be sons. But why? Because Jesus Christ is God's son. And we have been united to him. God now treats us as sons, meaning we are heirs with God in Christ. Jesus calls us his brothers. Amidst our waywardness and our folly, grace swoops in and gives us all the fullness of God in Christ. Every blessing in the heavenly places is ours in Jesus Christ. So as one pastor once said, consider your state. You are a pardoned sinner, not under the law, but under grace, freely, fully saved from the guilt of all your sins. There is none to condemn. 
God having justified you. He sees you in his son, washed you in his blood, clothed you in his righteousness, and he embraces him and you, the head and the members, with the same affection. God embraces Christ in us, the head and the body, with the same affection. And this is what we have been invited into as sinners saved by grace. This is what wisdom calls the simple into. What a gift. Wisdom has built her house. And now she invites us to her feast. Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. For this bread is the bread of life for your salvation. This wine is the new covenant in Christ's blood that atones for your sins. Brothers and sisters, leave your simple ways and live. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, thank you for the grace of God shown to us in Jesus Christ. Once we were far off, but now we have been brought near in him. Thank you for the love that you set upon your children. And I pray that you would help us to walk in the way of wisdom. Help us to live, leave our simple ways and live. Help us to live according to your truth, according to your good order and good design for the world. Lord, give us insight. Help us to walk in the fear of you. And thank you for this astonishing grace that you've shown us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for inviting us into fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore as we enter your presence. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.